0: It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part two in our series on Advent Conspiracy. We're going to be looking at what the incarnation of Jesus means, the coming of Jesus means, how God loved the world by coming into the world, by giving of his very presence to us. And what that means for us as followers of Christ. This is really some of my favorite kind of material to cover and it's really central to what we're trying to do here as a church. So uh, good stuff in here. Hey, we've got an art night for Advent Conspiracy for the kids coming up this Wednesday, December 11th, 6.30 p.m. So bring your kids out for a night of art and awareness. And um, for right now, let's go ahead and head to the talk. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Survive part one of the holidays, Thanksgiving. All right. Do you remember when Thanksgiving used to be just like about turkey and family and hanging out together? Remember that? Yeah. Like, used to have this this, this, this the, the used to Thanksgiving, you'd get together, you'd eat turkey and dressing and pumpkin pie and stuff, and and hang out. Maybe you know, growing up in Texas, you had to watch the the obligatory Cowboys game, and um, so that's what I did. Um, but it seems like in the last I don't know seven or eight years. We've added this new thing to the Thanksgiving tradition, which is, like, see, like, how bad we can fight with each other over meaningless electronic things, right? On Black Friday? Uh, how many of y'all watched some, some video footage from Black Friday? Oh, it's it's just disturbing, right? I, I, I saw this one guy with his kids, like, in a Walmart, and he sees a weakness. It's like it's like a feeding frenzy. He sees a weakness, and 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 somebody drops something. And he runs over there, and then they're fighting over things. And then he grabs his stuff, and he's standing by, by his kids. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you know what you just taught your kids? Um, but it's 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 getting kind of out of control. We've got to the point as a society where we are valuing cheap consumer electronics over actual human beings. And I don't say that to, to point my finger. It's easy for my, to me to point my finger at people who would uh, stand outside of a Walmart for hours because, like, I'm not even tempted to go to a Walmart when I don't have to stand in line outside. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is whether you, you know, I, I love just being able to shop online. That's that's how I buy all my clothes, everything now. That's where I get this this fine uh, outfit, <laughs> just in case you were wondering. Uh <laughs> but but the reality is, I think we all play a part in this society that encourages rampant consumerism materialism. We've all had a part in it. We've all participated in it at some level. But that's what I'm not here to talk about this morning. What I want to talk about is the the the, the thing that we really focus in on in the church throughout church history is the advent of Jesus, the coming of Christ into our, our world. I love that, that last uh, Christmas carol we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the hope of the ages, the, the cry of the hearts, that God would send a Redeemer, the send of the Messiah. And so that's what we celebrate this year, that God has heard our cries, He's stepped into our story, He's met us right where we're at. So today, I want to start off by looking at a, a, a familiar passage. How many of y'all have grown up, I, I do these little uh, periodic uh, uh, surveys in here, how many of y'all have grown up in evangelical kind of expressions of, of Christianity? Okay, it's, it's really not that many over here, which is, the, most of y'all grew up Catholic, all right, I, I, I have a feeling. It's, I think, about 80% of people here uh, have grown up Catholic. But in evangelical traditions, whether you've grown up in them or not, kind of the, the, the linchpin scripture for evangelicalism is John 3.16. And chances are, whether you grew up evangelical or not, that you could quote the scripture, even if you weren't in church. We've seen people hold it up at football games. Uh, you've heard it from the mouth of T- Tim Tebow and Billy Graham. Uh, you've seen it on bumper stickers, T-shirts. For God so loved the world... That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You ever heard of that one before? Yeah. And that's kind of the fundamental phrase for evangelicalism. Now, being evangelical, typically that verse is communicated like this. Uh, God loved you enough to to, uh, pay your way to get into heaven. Basically. And I think well, yes, that everlasting life includes heaven. Uh, the everlasting life that Jesus talks about, it actually begins right now, right here. And, and one of the things that, that we miss about that passage, we focus so much on the eternal aspects of it that we, we miss like the, the grandeur of the first opening phrase of it. God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? Himself. He gave his very presence do you realize how radical there's no other religion in the world that has this crazy idea God loved us enough to set aside his godness his kingly robes heaven and all that and he humbles himself and and he's born into a, 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 a to a teenage couple living in an obscure part of the Empire swaddled in cloth laid in a feeding trough and He's taken the lowest place. He stepped into our world. He's become God with us. I love uh, 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love. You know what, what we believe in the church? We believe that, that before you and I were ever in existence, before this world, before this universe was created, God existed in triune community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God existed in loving community before we were ever uh, a thought. Well, maybe a thought. But before we were ever created. And so when we come to how God is going to rescue the world from, from our sins, I think oftentimes we, we want to imagine a God who would just come in and kick butt, right? Like, God could have done that, right? God, God is God. He created this thing. He could rescue it however He wants. And if He were like us... He would come in, Jesus would come in with angel armies on both sides, and they'd just come in and submit, bow to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, right? That's kind of the way we do it, right? Shock and awe, right? Or perhaps Jesus would do a, a, a social networking campaign, marketing campaign, you know, the, the true king is coming, and and because uh, that's kind of the way we do it. But what God really does because God is relational at his core because God is love the 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 define the probably the biggest defining word we can can put on God that comes anywhere near to what he's like is that he is love because God is love the only way he can rescue the world from its sins is through love and love only happens when you have relationship right like no relationships, no love. Love, can't, love doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? That's why God, saying God is love, it, it, that, that speaks to the Trinity. God was already loving community before he created anything. And so his rescue plan is loving. We know from reading the, the New Testament that Jesus' entire time on earth was about 33 years. Uh, the Gospels record the last three years, uh, you know, Jesus' earthly ministry. But if we break this down percentage-wise, do you realize that Jesus spent 90% of his time on earth just being with us? Before he ever did a miracle, before he ever healed the blind, before he ever uh, fed the 5,000, he spent 90% of his time. What does that say to you? What does that say to you about this God? I mean, it it says to me, you know, I mean, thinking of it in kind of type A corporate American terms, it's like, that's a waste of time. (laughs) Like, we got a world to save here, Jesus. What are you doing? But it wasn't a waste of time because God with us, Jesus, for 30 years, he was experiencing life as human beings experience it, the joys, the pains, the sorrows, the griefs, uh, all of it. The entire realm of human experience was experienced by this God. Jesus was showing us that God doesn't love us from a distance, as Bette Midler once sang, But he, he gets right up in our world. He comes alongside us. He steps right into the place where we live. He shows solidarity with our humanity. Matthew chapter 1, verse 2 says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. They will call him that. You know, his name is going to be Jesus, which means God saves. His title would be Christ. A lot of people think that's his last name. But his title is Christ, which means the anointed one or the Messiah, But his reputation, what he would be called, would be Emmanuel. Do you ever get a nickname when you were young? A lot of times we get nicknames for, you know, you do something stupid in the cafeteria in seventh grade and and you're stuck (laughs) with a name forever. Jesus' nickname, his reputation would be God with us. People would look at Jesus and they say, oh my gosh, God is with us. He's not far away. He's with us. So when Jesus broke bread with sinners, God with us. When Jesus got past all of the cultural, religious, gender barriers of his day and reached out to the Samaritan woman at the well, God with us. When Jesus is sitting there talking one day and his disciples get aggravated because all these kids are hanging around Jesus and Jesus says, look, hey, don't bother these kids. This is the kingdom of heaven. It's like this. God With us. When Jesus shows up at a wedding feast. And they run out of wine. And he turns water into wine. That's God with us. When Jesus shows up to Mary and Martha. When their brother Lazarus has died. He grieves with them. And he raised them from the dead. God with us. They'll call him that. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. But his reputation. What he reveals is the good news. That God ain't out there. He's right here. God loves the whole world. How does he love us? By giving. By giving what? His very presence. That's the good news. He's not locked up in heaven. He ain't locked up in a temple. He's not guarded by some religious club. He's broken out of the barriers. He's with us. I'm about to preach now. <laughs> I need to get Andy back here on this keyboard to back me up. <laughs> Think back to when you were a kid celebrating Christmas, if you grew up celebrating Christmas. If you didn't, don't think back to it. Um, think of, of one of the most memorable Christmas gifts that you ever got in your life. Anybody got something that pops into your head right now? Anyone? A puppy. Was it like wrapped in a box? Who said that? Oh, you. Was it in a box? Oh. Yeah, I know. That gets dangerous when you start shaking them <laughs> a puppy anybody else got a memorable christmas gift a keyboard A keyboard. yep the gift of music a what a train electric train, electric train. Electric train. Electric train. i thought you said poncha train <laughs> it's a little big i want to share an experience that i have before i get to some of my christmas gifts it's, it's something I've, I've had much counseling about. My, my father um, went through kind of a hippie phase, and then he, he got his degree in psychology and loved um, doing kind of little psychological experiments on me. <laughs> I was an only child, so I, I took the brunt of it. Um, it explains stuff, right? <laughs> oh, it's all clear now. But I was about four or five, and my dad he he used to tell me that if you're bad, you're going to end up with switches and ashes uh, in your stocking. And he told me what switches were because I didn't know. And uh, I I didn't worry about it too much. And I had this amazing stocking that my grandmother had made for me. It was it was big. It held a lot of stuff. But it was it had like sequined letters that had my name on it. It was just ornate, beautiful. I go to bed Christmas Eve. That stocking hanging by the chimney with care, and uh, I wake up the next morning thinking I'm waking up earlier than anybody else to go check my stocking. And where that beautiful stocking had once hung, there was this nasty tube sock with holes in the toes, filled with ashes and sticks. <laughs> and I'm so I'm standing there and I start getting the quiver lip, you know, and. My dad's hiding behind the tree taking pictures, and, um... <laughs> yes, <laughs> I did get my real stocking back up, but he, you know, he had fun, that, that's the kind of stuff that I grew up with, <laughs> uh, but I, I remember probably my most memorable Christmas present was I got a bike one time, it was my cousin's bike, and so she was upset they gave it to me on Christmas Eve before she got her bike the next day and so she cried but I I like that one a lot I remember getting Star Wars figures and Legos and I find myself now giving Star Wars figures and Legos to to my son Um, but honestly when I look back over my childhood I there's not really that many things that really stick out to me uh, presence wise you know it's just I can't really remember that much but what I really do remember, what I carry with me to this day, are the times not of wrapped up presents, but the times of presents in CE of my family members. Family vacations. You know, when we just go camping. That's, that was mainly our family vacation growing up. We did a lot of camping. It was cheap. But being together. It was the times where my my dad would bust me out of school to go see Star Wars when it came out. You know, Star Wars was cool, but but seeing it with my dad that was that was super cool. Being together, being being with friends, it was it was being present with other people, being with one another. It's so easy when it comes to uh, this time of year to get so caught up and trying to buy this electronic gadget for this person and get this thing for this person and get another noisy toy that my two-year-old is going to play all night, Uh, you know, these things over and over that that we forget sometimes that the, the true gift, the best gift that we have to give each one of us is our very presence with other people. That's the biggest gift. And actually, when you look at, at at child development, the biggest thing you can give parents to your child is yourself. It's the biggest thing. I mean, I like any parent, I'd love to give my parents good gifts when I can. But sometimes we focus so much on that, we forget, like, there's power in your presence, in being with them. You know, I, I had a... Huge paradigm shift in, in ministry about seven years ago, eight years ago, maybe. Back in 2004, our daughter, Tevia was um, five years old. She was finally the age to go to school, and we were really conflicted. Like, what do we, what do, we do for her education? Do we put her in homeschool? Uh, put her in homeschool? Uh, um, do we do homeschool? Do we send her to a private school or a Christian school, or, or do we send her to the local public school? We'd only been in Kenner for about a year, and honestly, we, we'd lived in Hammond before that. We knew the schools in Hammond. We didn't know the schools in Kenner. We're like, is this going to be a good thing or not? Like, what's it like down there? But we really felt like as we, as we wrestled through it, prayed about it, wrestled through our, our values as a family, that, that God was calling us to put her in the, in the local public school. And it was called Schneckenberger. Um, which is very hard for a five-year-old to say when you put them in school there. Um, But we put her in school there, and we were pleasantly surprised that, man, there's a lot of teachers there that loved kids. They really did. And everything was going great till about April that year. And then in April, Dina gets a phone call, and the principal said, look, I want to let you know another kid uh, stabbed your daughter with some scissors. Now, it sounds really scary, but it wasn't. It wasn't that bad because the kind of scissors you have when you're five years old in school. (laughs) You had to stab real hard to, to hurt someone. But Dina goes down there like mama bear. She's ready to give this principal a piece of her mind. How do you let stuff like this happen? But all of a sudden, Dina, you know, she just said, the Holy Spirit just showed up and got a hold of me. And I found myself asking, well, what about these kids that act like this is there anything to help them you know because obviously if, if you're trying to stab somebody at five years old you know you got some some issues going on there and she said unfortunately all we have is one one social worker at this school who divides his time between four or five other schools so he's here one or two days a week we got a couple of hundred kids here it's just there's no way that you can can meet all the needs of all these kids Dina had worked, uh, had volunteered for a bit before when we were in Hammond with a group called Kids Hope USA, a mentoring program where a church adopts a local school. And so she said, "Well, what if we could get something like Kids Hope going here?" And the principal was a little leery at first because Kids Hope is about a church adopting a public school, and so this this principal was a little leery, as a lot of principals would be, because like. Usually when it comes to the church and school, a lot of times the only things churches want to have to do with schools are protesting their curriculum <laughs> or, uh, you know, fighting with them about this or that or trying to get the prayer in school or Ten Commandments or something or, or trying to, to get the kids to come to a VBS. But but we said, no, no, th- This is this is a different thing. So the the principal, she got her lawyers to look at it, and we talked to the church and canter about doing it. Long story short, everybody agreed to do it. So we found ourselves in 2005 launching this program, Kids Hope. And Kids Hope, basically, the teachers uh, will recommend kind of at-risk students to the programs. The, The parents sign off of it, and then we would train up mentors who would spend one hour a week with one child for the whole year. So every mentor has one kid, one hour a week, for a year. And I was one of the first mentors. And, um, and I got to tell you, it was scary. It was scary. I don't think of myself, I mean, I like kids and stuff, but I don't, I don't know if kids like me sometimes, you know. I'm kind of insecure, like I, I'm going to be sitting with this kid. He's, 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 from a different family background, different race. What are we even going to talk about? Like there's so many kind of, it seemed like there was such a, a cultural divide, but, but I went ahead and, and did it. And, and the thing I found out with Kids Hope, and this was the experience of, of almost every one of our mentors, is the first few weeks these kids don't trust you. They're not going to open up much and you feel like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. Like it just felt like we sat there for an hour doing nothing, having awkward conversations but over time, as you keep showing up, these kids begin to open up. And what we saw time and time again, I was a mentor for about four years. I had a bunch of different kids. Um, I, I, I was kind of like the different kid each year guy. Um, but some of our mentors, uh, I think probably this year or next year, we will actually have the first kids that have graduated high school that, that went through the program uh, beginning back in 2005. And But what I found, and this is the real paradigm shift for me, I've been in the church for years, I've been doing ministry for years. But most of the ministry that I had done up to that point was short-term missions trips, which are great if you've never been on one. i had been all over Central America, Southeast Asia, Europe, uh, doing uh, evangelism things, working with medical missions, dentist stuff, doing all kinds of things, building houses I'd done a lot of that. Uh, In church, I'd done a lot of evangelical outreaches as well and then things to help the community. On the South Shore, we would do servant evangelism things where we would wash cars, we would clean toilets, uh, rake leaves. I'd done all that. What was interesting about Kids Hope is that they tell you, you can't talk about God. All you can do is love a kid. And there's something interesting that I began to see that there's power in just being present. There's power in just being with someone consistently. There's power. You just keep showing up. I mean, look, I didn't feel like I had anything to offer at all. I still don't. <laughs> and yet... We saw this time and time again. These kids, their behavior would begin to change. Their grades would begin to improve. Their social relationships would, 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 would get better. It was simply by having one positive, consistent relationship with an adult in their life. Now here's the other side. What you find when you begin to take God up on this type of ministry is you be, begin to see that you, you're not seeing the other person as a project or a problem. You know, see, that, I've done that in the church for so long. And I talked to some of my missionary friends overseas and they're like, dude, churches come in with money and they just start throwing money at things overseas because the Americans we think, oh my gosh, I can't believe what you're living in. We need to do this and stuff. Uh, and, and oftentimes he said they make it worse for the church over there because Americans are trying to impose American kind of like, like, let's turn you into good Americans, but there's something different that happens when you actually sit down with the person without an agenda, only to be with them. You begin to see him as a person and not a problem. You begin to see him as somebody created in the image of God. And get this, you begin to actually encounter God in them, through them. Because now you're in an attitude of humility, you're listening for God. I, I tell you, there's there's so many days where I just felt like I'm I'm too tired to go sit down with this kid, or I don't think I have anything to offer, and I would sit down and, and I would meet Jesus in our conversations. That's incarnational ministry. That's God with us kind of stuff. Anybody watch that show, uh, Parenthood? Woohoo! Anybody? Anyone? Got okay. It's a it's a good show. Um, I watched it a couple times with Dina, and and it, it's a show that's uh, got real good writing, good acting, uh, lots of good situations happening in there, you know, because it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like it makes you cry every week, you watch it. It's one of those kind of shows. Um, if you're the type to cry when you watch TV shows. I've got a friend who I does that. <laughs> <laughs> But I was watching Parenthood with Dina the other night, and we watched a couple of episodes, and I was struck for the first time. I was like, you know, the problems of the characters on Parenthood, they're they're problems that that I can identify with some of them. But, you know, these are very white, middle-class problems. These are problems that 95% of the people on planet Earth have no clue of. One of the lead characters, her problem is she's running for mayor and trying to figure all that out. Then you got another family that's that's worrying with you know or, what are we going to do about the education of our child or are we going to be able to 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 to, to get him up a grade or not? And then there's this other these other guys who have a, a a nice old recording studio and they're recording an old rock band trying to revive their career and the, like these are white middle class problems. They're problems. But it's not the problems of the rest of the world. And, and our tendency is, as human beings is we can get so myopic. We can get so surrounded by people who agree with us. Who believe the same religious ideas, the same political ideas. Who shop at the same stores, who, who go to the same Starbucks. Who do all that. That we forget that, that this little thing that we call reality isn't reality for most people on planet earth today. My friend Sean went to Zambia. Actually, Zambia is where we, we um, built the uh, computer lab a few years ago when we did Advent Conspiracy the first time. Um, but he was telling me, he, he met a girl there in Zambia, 14, year olds, 14 years old, the age of my daughter, and both of her parents had died from the AIDS epidemic. And here she was trying to raise her two younger brothers. Now, Kind of our white middle class problems over here is like, I mean, even the problem that we had with educating our daughter. Like, we could think through that. Like, we can homeschool or we can send her to a school. Like, that's a very white middle class problem. A lot of people don't have that issue. (laughs) You know what her issue was? Am I going to become a prostitute or not to take care of my brother's? That's her decision. Will she go into prostitution to take care of her brothers, knowing that as soon as she does, she will likely get the very same disease that killed her parents? Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty and horrible and like, oh, the church makes me feel bad. I'm just saying there's a whole big world out there that is not parenthood kind of problems. There's people whose reality every day, it, some of them is just survival. And if we only surround ourselves with, with people that agree with us on everything and, and, and that we like and that we fit in with, and, and, and we, we miss this whole thing about God with us. Because the incarnation is about stepping out of our comfort zone and stepping into the lives of other people who are different from us. You know, in January, we will celebrate our four-year anniversary for this church, at least as far as doing our weekend services. Four years. How many of y'all were here when we were doing our test kitchen services? Like three or four, yeah. We did our test kitchen services four years ago, probably around this time, and we we, we didn't know what, we called it test kitchens because we, we weren't open to the public, we were just trying to figure out like how do we do a weekend service, and people would bring their lawn chairs, and uh, it looked like a tailgate party. And <laughs> so we launched our first service in January, we had 20, 25 people, and it's been an amazing ride these last four years. When I look around, you know, we went from, from 20, 25 people on a Sunday to now we've got, you know, 150 to 200 people showing up every weekend. We've got a thriving children's ministry. We've got, you know, just, just great people. And I see, when I look around and see people getting in each other's lives, taking care of each other's kids, helping each other pay bills, you know, praying for each other, doing things in the community. I'm just, I'm excited. I love that. But I have to tell you this as well. I think we're entering the most dangerous phase that this church has ever faced. Because there's something that happens when a group starts to bond. When a group gets a group identity. You start going, you know. Have you ever been around a group of people that had a real... They they were such tight community that you couldn't find your way in? You ever been around people who, who tell a bunch of inside jokes... Like you're out to eat dinner with a bunch of people and then they're, they're like, oh, remember that time? <laughs> 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 and you're just like, ha. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll just mention some random phrase like soda can <laughs> <laughs> And you're just like going, uh, okay. That's that's people who've who've grown so tight that, that there's no room for outsiders in their midst. And that's the danger we face as a community, is that sometimes when that itch for community starts getting scratched, it feels good when you belong, when you got people in your life that that love you. That feels good. For some of you, this is the first time that's ever happened in your life. That's awesome. But don't do that at the expense of people outside these doors. Otherwise, we turn into the proverbial box of puppies licking each other. I don't want to be a part of that kind of church. You know, it's, it's cute. But it does nothing to challenge the evil of this world. My hope is that as a pastor, that, that four or five years from now, we're not just a tight community, but that we become the kind of church that the people in this community really realize, like, if that church wasn't there, I wouldn't be where I am today. They've affected my life. A box of puppies won't do that. It'll be cute. Matthew 5.13, Jesus said this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know, if you, got a, if you got a cylinder of Tony's at home, right, that Tony's is not going to do you any good if you just keep it there, right? As, as Eugene Peterson, I love the way he translates this in the message, you are the, the, the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors in this world. But the thing is, if you keep that salt or that Tony's locked up in a jar, it's going to do nothing. The only time that salt brings out the God flavors is when it's sprinkled on the world around it. You and I are that salt. We're here to do that. The truth is, unless we put ourselves in in situations where we're uncomfortable, where we're stepping out of our comfort zone, we are never going to see opportunities for God to move in these kind of incarnational God-with-us ways. When I look back to the Schneckenberger thing, you know, the reality is, uh, it's not like we were thinking of doing something to help the school initially. We weren't. But we were stepping out of our nice little safe Christian bubble with all of our Christian safe friends. And stepping into the community. And it was stepping into the community that we got to pay attention to what God's doing. You know, to this day, Kids Hope still goes on. Dina was the director, but it's been going on for four years since we left. And now they got something like 30 mentors who go to that school every week and mentor a kid. This is a school of about 200. That's a lot of kids, percentage-wise. That principal who was leery of a church adopting that school initially, she she's now like the biggest champion of it. She's like, this thing is amazing. Every school needs a church to adopt it. Can you, I mean, can you hear that? A public school principal who doesn't go to this kind of church is thrilled to have a partnership with a church to love on kids and help kids in her school the social worker at that school we heard secondhand from somebody who went to a social working thing this guy stood up said every school needs to get one of these especially if you're a social worker this is the best thing because these guys are are doing part of your job for you they're loving kids But you know, none of that would have happened if we wouldn't have stepped out of our comfort zone. If we wouldn't have got ourselves into an opportunity to be around something different from what we were used to, it wouldn't have happened. Give presence, your presence, to those around you. I'll close with saying this. There are opportunities all over the place. The first opportunity... For, for us as our families. Give presents to your family. Give your presents to your family. Your kids, the time you spend with them, they, they will carry that with them forever. You may be worried right now, like, I don't know if I got enough money to buy the right presents for my kids. Maybe I'm going to get one of those free bikes. Uh, look, whether or not you can buy the most awesome presents for your kids. You can give them yourself. It's great. It's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. But it's meaningful. Give of yourself. We have the temptation right now with the holidays and parties and school and jobs and all that stuff. The temptation is to get so distracted from, the, from, from being the gift of God to those who are around us. Just ask God how you can do that. S- Secondly, there are needs in our community. Now, I have to tell you, it's hard getting up here to speak on things like this each week. You know why? Because <laughs> God just, I just feel beat up by the time I get here on a Sunday morning. Because as I'm looking at this stuff, I'm like, you know, the reality is I'm not, I'm not stepping out of my comfort zone the way I wish I would. And so I felt like even when I was preparing this uh, earlier this week, I, think I felt like God was saying, you know, you need to practice what you're preaching. So I went down to the local Boys and Girls Club over here which is about six blocks from here, right across from the uh, food bank. And I asked the lady there, Jessica, I said, do you have any needs? And she's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) They have 70 kids that show up there every day for an after-school program. They would like every one of these kids to have a one-on-one mentor who would come there one hour a week, kind of like kids hope. same basic thing. Uh, It's not real... Not real intense stuff. Some of it's just reading books. I'm like, oh, I can do that. So I start next Tuesday. <laughs> I told her that. I said, you know, as a church, it's like we, we've got, you know, we've got people that have all kinds of talents here, you know, people who do construction, people who, who can help in other needs. Please let us know. And she's already let me know some, some construction needs. So I'll be letting some of you know. Because <laughs> those of you who know me know I'm not very good with that. We'd like it to be done right. <laughs> But as I'm talking to her, I said, well, well, what about other needs? She said, you know, one of our biggest needs is in the summer. Because in the summer, we don't just have 70 kids. We have a couple of hundred kids. And they're not just here for uh, after school. They're here all day because their parents work. I've had people in the church ask me over and over again, when are we going to do a, a vacation Bible school? And I was like, I don't think we're ever going to do a vacation Bible school. Sorry. Not because vacation Bible schools aren't good, but it's just there's VBSs everywhere. Anybody met VBS junkies before? I, there, there's, a, there's some people, I'm sorry if you're one of them, <laughs> my apologies, there are some people that, that will actually find every VBS on the North Shore and they will spend two months sending their kids to every one of them. And the thing is, nowadays, every VBS is doing the exact same thing, so these kids hear the same thing over and over uh, for two months. I don't want to do a VBS, not because they're bad, but because I would much rather partner with a local organization that is doing something in the lives of some kids that may not have what, what your kids have and my kids have. i got 200 or 300 of them showing up every, every day in the summer. I want to look for ways that we can be a part of that. So when I get a few years down the road, I, don't want, to, I, I, I want to be a part of a, a church that, that is, that's engaging the community, meeting it where it's at. So there's opportunities in in this local community within the church, or um, close to the church. Nursing homes. You know, a friend of mine did, this was pretty cool, a few years ago. She just uh, felt like God put it on her heart to go to a nursing home. So she showed up at a nursing home. She says, is there anybody here who never has visitors? And the person working said, yeah, this lady over here. So she sat down with her. And she would meet with her every week for about a year and a half, two years. just come there once, twice a week. This lady had nobody, no family that would ever visit her. And, and, And this friend of mine, she was there with her until she died. And that was so meaningful to her. There's just little ways. And again, this isn't rocket science. Like, you don't have to be good at something to do this. We're not talking about talents. We're talking about your presence. Just your presence. Just taking some time to be with someone. Then there's your neighbors. I was I was really blessed as a parent the other day. I'm going to brag on my son a second uh, since he's not here in the room. Um, you know, he, uh, the other day I'm, I'm, I'm doing some work at home and I think he's out playing outside and it's been a couple hours since I checked on him. So I walk outside and I notice like there's no kids playing outside. I'm like, "Where is he?" And I look down the street and there's this little old lady who's a widow, lives by herself, sitting on a bench and Ezra's sitting right next to her and he's been there for an hour and a half just talking with her. And I told him I said, "You know how meaningful it was to that lady that you just sat down and were with her?" And he was just like, "Well, I wouldn't do anything." I was just I was like, "You don't understand how that what that means to be with someone someone right there in an, I've never even met the lady he said well, she, she said do you want some candy no i'm just kidding <laughs> 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 hey kid <laughs> there are all kinds of things and i and i really feel like in the coming year we're going to we're going to we're going to Really try to hit on this because the, you know part of the reason we we did this church in downtown Covington was not just because it's a cool place. I mean, it's a cool area, but really downtown Covington, within ten blocks of this church, are some of the the the, the biggest needs on the North Shore. And I want to be a part of loving these people, not as projects or problems, but stepping into their world. And, and I just ask you, ask the Lord. During this holiday season, ask God. I don't, I'm, and look, believe me, I know I get passionate about some of this stuff. I'm not, this is not trying to push emotional buttons or anything. Ask God, how can I spend some time with some people that are outside my, my safe little Christian comfort zone? How can I do that? Help me to step out of my comfort zone and be with somebody. Ask the Lord that. Why don't you stand up? I'm going to close with a prayer from St. Francis of Assisi because I think it's a, a bit appropriate for us this morning. First, I'll close with my prayer. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Incarnation. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you you reveal the exceedingly, abundantly awesome news that you are with us, that you're not against us, you're not removed from us, but you are with us, that you know what we go through, you know what we face, not as God out there, but as God with us, Lord. And God, I, I pray that, that the, the truth of the incarnation would challenge us and form us that it would change us, and that even as you entered into our world, even as you left your privileged existence and stepped into our poverty of spirit, God, that we could leave what is comfortable to us and step into the world of others who are different from us, others of different races, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic places, God, different politics than us, God, Lord, that we uh, we could be with them without the agenda, any other agenda than to simply love as you love and so this morning Lord we close with the the prayer of St. Francis Lord make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let me sow love where there is injury pardon where there is doubt faith where there is despair hope where there is darkness light where there is sadness, joy. O divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we received, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Amen.